Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Michael Smith. You can call me Mike. You can call me Hey You. Call me anything. But I will. I am your friend if you're in this body of Christ. A couple years after I got married to this lovely woman, Carol, that sits next to my side every week, the good Lord called us into, into a church, called us both together, and we both were saved by and accepted our Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And as most people did over the years to come after that, we would go to church when we needed to, or we felt guilty, or we felt obligated to. So when I turned the wonderful age of 5 I heard a voice, and it was a very distinct voice, and it was calling me to bring the Word of God to anybody that would listen. And I thought to myself, my gosh, what are you talking about? Why would, you, why would I get up in front of a group of people? I had turned around and wondered, why, Lord, would you have me do this at my age? And then, in my studies, I found out about Moses found out about Abraham, some fine elderly gentlemen that did some fine work for God. And I'm up here as a servant of the Lord to bring you his word. And as we get into today's message, I want you to remember two things. I'm going to go through a passage that most churches will not touch. But as a servant of the Lord, this is God's word. Jesus gives us this parable. I want you to remember two things. One, God is a good all the time. Remember that. This may answer some questions. And two, his righteousness demands this account. Now, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. And if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat underneath the seat in front of you. And if you don't own one, you're more than welcome to take that one with you. I want to quote my favorite author when he stands up here and says, follow along so you're sure that I'm not up here reading Harry Potter. End quote. Now, God's word reads, we'll read verses 19 through 31. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth the good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us is a great gall fixed. So that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass from us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that they may testify unto him, lest they come to this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them have them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went from the... One went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not the Moses and the prophets, neither will they persuade it, though one would rose from the dead. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, let your word set on our hearts. Let the Holy Spirit fill this place. Let the Holy Spirit work in me, for I am just a servant of the Lord. Bless this service as we go through the service. Bless those who don't know the Lord to pay attention to this particular passage. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we talk, the pastor brought up last week about the authenticity of the Bible. There is a retired 
homicide detective in Denver, Colorado. His name is Lieutenant Joe Kenda. In his career, he solved nearly 400 homicides. This, they hung the name the Homicide Hunter on him. He attributes his success to cooperating stories. That would be getting the, the facts, of the, the same story from different people about the same account. Now, we have cooperating stories in the Bible. Luke got his information secondhand. Luke was a physician, which made him a great investigator. Luke used to use corroborating accounts of witnesses. Luke was a missionary with the greatest witness, the Apostle Paul. Also, the Apostle Paul got his, uh, his authority from Jesus himself. As Christians, we have the Bible with hundreds of corroborating stories over thousands of years. And with the work of the Holy Spirit, we have complete and total confidence in the Bible. Jesus saves. What does this mean when people say Jesus saves? With Easter fresh on our mind just a few weeks ago, as we celebrated the payment, sin payment made by our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross on Friday and his resurrection three days later on the cross. This is how Jesus saves us. These two words are the most powerful words in the English language. Their meaning sets for every person into a permanent eternal position. Jesus is the only one that can save us from this account. Luke tells us in chapter 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This is the only way to get yourself on the right road. Jesus talks about these two gates, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Jesus talks about these two gates in the pinnacle of his Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he says in verse 13, Enter ye in the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Verse 14, Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few that there be findeth. This Lord's Day, I want to focus on one question. Do you know which road you're on, and can you recognize the signs that tell you what road you're really on? So what road are you on? All of us travel on different roads on a daily basis. Commuting on roads is key for our existence in America and all over the world. What road are you on? This is not only true in our modern world, but also true back in the, back in the first century, back in Jesus' day. What road are you on? Out of the four Gospels, this account about the rich man and Lazarus is only recorded here. But out of all the thousands of miles we travel, it boils down to two roads, whether you have faith in Jesus or you do not. The road that leads to life or the road that leads to destruction or death? What road are you on? And do you know which road you're, you're truly on? And can you read and comprehend all the signs that confirm the position that you are on the right road? What road are you on? I'm in the steel's commodity relocation business. I'm a truck driver. God has blessed me with a heart like a wheel. I have traveled almost 4 million miles on 18 wheels up and down all kinds of roads. To negotiate 80,000 pounds up and down these roads would be extremely dangerous and impossible without signs. Every road sign is a warning sign. And to keep the shiny side up and the greasy side down, I must be able to comprehend all signs. Missing or not comprehending signs can be very dangerous for me and for all of us. So what road are you on? The interstate systems are very easy to understand. With the even numbers running east to west, mile markers starting from one and increase from west to east. Interstate systems with the odd numbers run north and south, and mile markers starting with one increase from south to north. This tells me my position on the road at all times. 
We are trained by the DMV to follow all rules and all the rules of the road and how to comprehend and read all the signs. As this is supposed to keep us all safe, right? But understanding the human condition with all the study and testing that we go through soon is forgotten and goes out the window. So what road are you on? Because as humans, we start falling into bad habits. It is our nature to find ourselves less obedient to signs, starting to ignore them altogether. Why? There is no consequence for our sin. If the referee didn't see it, it didn't happen. And this becomes our attitude. Remember, all road signs are warning signs. So what road are you on? We all know there's so many hours of the day between our morning coffee and our bedtime prayers, we have to do some time management, school for the kids, work schedules, kids' activities, and all other things we've committed to for the day. And finding that we don't have enough time to do what we've committed to, we turn our automobiles into time machines. And when we get that baby up to 88 miles an hour, we, we go back in time. We think. That's not the case. So what road are you on? No matter what the excuses are, we start ignoring important signs altogether. Let us put some thought into the roads that we travel on a day, daily basis. Can you tell anybody where the speed limits change, where the stop signs and the, and the traffic lights are? We travel the same road so many times we just go, and we don't put no thought into it. No longer reading the signs that have always been there, but ignoring or missing the, signs that have, the new signs that have been posted. So what road are you on? Isaiah 53, 6 says, we are all like sheep and have gone astray. Why did Jesus liken us to sheep? It is in our nature to lose focus. And our nature will lead us to the road to destruction. We do not have the resources to put ourselves on this right road. So what road are you on? John 6, 3.16 reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is our resource. This is how we get on the right road, following him. So what road are you on? Let's go back and look at uh, verse 19 and see if we can recognize the signs that the rich man missed. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. The first thing, and first and foremost, this rich man in this parable has nothing to do with his financial statement. This can be anyone. Money can be a source of idolatry, and idolatry can be anything that, that takes away our focus off the Lord. The rich man has more resources than most people. So this rich man was self-sufficient. So as in today's society and back in his time, servants that would work for him. These servants would probably praise him on a daily basis. And this is why Jesus likens us to sheep. We are so easily led astray that we hear enough praise about ourselves, we start believing it. So, what road are you on? Let's look at some of the signs the Bible posts in Scripture for us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 tells us, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. Love not the world, neither the things in the world that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16 for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the Father is not in him, but is of the world. So, John tells us in here that the world, John is not speaking of the physical or the created order. Nature's physical beauty still reflects God's glory, demands praise. John is referring to the world and its things, which John warned his readers not to love, is the invisible spiritual system of evil governed by Satan. What road are you on? 
there has always been two systems of religion. One is God's system of divine accomplishment, Jesus' work on the cross, and the other is man's system of human achievement. One is the religion of God's grace, and the other religion is man's work. The other religion is of faith, and the other religion is of flesh. One religion is of sincere heart and the eternal, and the other religion is of hypocrisy and the external. Within man's systems are thousands of religious forms and names, but they all are built on the achievements of men and the inspiration of Satan. Christianity is the religion of divine accomplishment, and it stands alone, which is the Christ Jesus' work on the cross. Amen? So, in Ephesians, Paul tells us, For by grace ye are saved through faith, and not of yourself, it is a gift from God. Verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, we need to get this straight. Everybody gets this confused, and it's, it's not very confusing. Anytime that I've received a gift, I had to believe that gift was mine, and the next thing I had to do was just take it, and it was mine. Never had to give it back, never had to do anything for it. It's a gift of love. Salvation is a gift. All you have to do is accept it and believe it's true and believe it's your gift. All right, what road are you on? Let's read verses 20 and 21. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid, his, laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed from the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, Jesus gives this man, this man the name Lazarus. It is the same name as the brother of Mar- Mary and Martha. Lazarus is a Greek translation of the Hebrew word named Eleazar, which means whom God has helped. Now, this poor man was laid at the gate, which would imply that Lazarus was too sick to walk and was carried to this gate. Also, we know he is hungry and hoping to eat anything that the rich man disregards from his table. Maybe the servants will have compassion on him and bring him some leftovers. And we're also told that the dogs came and licked his sores. Could this be possible that the dogs came and licked his sores for comfort? And did Jesus put these dogs there for that reason? Fact is, dogs do lick their wounds and they rarely get infected. It's not because dogs have saliva-like antiseptic, but is that dogs' tongues are very rough and it helps remove contaminants from the wound. We just don't know why this is here. Jesus does not give us a whole lot of detail about Lazarus and this rich man. Jesus wants us to see one thing in these two men, the condition of their hearts. Jesus is the only one who knows the condition of every man and every woman. Jesus is telling us in this parable that the rich man... Lazarus on two different roads. So what road are you on? Let's look at verse 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. Lazarus died and the angels came to Abraham's bosom. I believe this to be true. Some scholars don't believe this is true. They don't believe that the angels will carry you away. I believe it to be true because of what I have witnessed. A friend of Carol's was passing. And as she was passing, she made this statement. She was, she was saved. She made this statement that the angels filled her room. The second she made that statement, she was gone. So I believe this is a true account. This is what happens when we die. This is the only place in the Bible that the phrase Abraham's bosom has appeared. Now, there are verses in the Bible that explain to us exactly where these two locations are. But we'll have to say that for another time. But for now, Lazarus dies and was taken immediately to the side of Abraham in the abode of the righteous. And the rich man died and was buried. And the Old Testament refers to going down into the grave, hell, or the Hebrew word sheol. Psalm 
31.17 states, Let me not be ashamed of the Lord, for I have called upon thee. Let the wicked be ashamed, and let them be silent in the grave. This, I believe, is where Lazarus went. That's why he states he was buried. Verse 23, let's read that. Verse 23 states, And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and seeing Abraham afar off, Lazarus in his bosom. Okay, immediately the rich man died and was cast into hell. But I want to answer some questions here. Remember when I told you in the beginning, remember God is good all the time. God is good all the time. And his righteousness requires this. Some people will say, well, if he's such a good and caring God like the Bible says, why did he create a place like this? I think we're asking the wrong questions here. We need to ask the question, how is bad is sin that God had to create a place like this? How bad is sin to God that he would have to send his only son to be murdered on a cross? This is the question that we need to answer. God doesn't want nobody to perish. In Second Peter verse chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slack in concerning his promise, as some men consider slackness. But he is long-suffering to us for not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. In other words, turn your way, of, turn off that road and get on the right road, because all of our roads are going to end. So God loves everyone. Amen. Immediately, the rich man's soul was cast into hell. Now, from this account, his his soul still had its faculties. His soul never went anywhere. And some people of mine, they think that when somebody dies, they go out of existence. This isn't true. Let's say people that die now are family members. They're separated from us. Death to God is separation. Okay? That's all it is. That's all it means. We need to understand that's how the Bible refers to this. Our loved ones are separated from us. And when we die, in, when we die the second death, we're separated from God into hell. So... The soul keeps all its faculties, everything that it had in its memory, thoughts, everything it had in its natural body still exists and he still has and still is in existence. He tells us that he goes into hell. Jesus is telling us in this parable, in Revelation chapter 6, verse, verse 10, that there are souls that are under the altar and they ask Jesus, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge the blood of them that dwell on the earth? This proves that the soul's always aware from birth to eternity. So, this is an actual place. God has created for his righteousness sake. In our, in our minds, we can't comprehend why he would make such a place, but he has. We notice in verse 24, all right, we, we notice that he doesn't have a name. Why doesn't this rich man have a name in hell? God has created us to have a relationship with him and others. Names identify who we are and when we're with each other and loved ones. Names are relational. This rich man, I believe, has no need of a name because he will be forever separated from God and any other souls. This is eternal death. This is pure isolation. Okay, let's read verse, verse 25 and 26. But Abraham said, Remember that thou in thy lifetime, in thy lifetime receiveth good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art in torment. And besides all this, between us is a great gulf fixed, so that which would pass from hence... To you cannot. Neither can they that pass from us that would come from thence. Jesus is telling us about a, a great gulf between the hell and the abode of the righteous. And the souls cannot pass through either direction. I believe Jesus uses the great gulf to give us, an, to give us in our minds how permanent the separation between these two locations are. We have a great gulf, we have a great gulf in our country called, we call the Gulf of Mexico. Personally, I've stood on the west coast of Florida, and as hard as I try to look over the Gulf itself, but I could not talk to anybody in Galveston. So this account has to be true. There's some supernatural way that they're communicating. 
And Jesus, Jesus has given us this account, and Luke is writing it, so we have to believe it's true. The corroborating stories are there to prove this to be true. So, remember back in the beginning of this message, corroborating stories, finding out the truth. Jesus is telling us this. Luke is recording it for us. So, yes, this account is true. These two did have this conversation. Now, what road are you on? Let's look at the last five verses. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, this is the rich man talking, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he would testify unto them, lest they come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, father Abraham, one went from the dead. They will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. There's one thing I want to get out of all these five verses is in the last sentence of verse 31. Jesus has come to our world and did the things that he said he would do and fulfilled all the Bible prophecy that were made hundreds of years before he come. He came, taught us about his kingdom and and the kingdom to come. He sacrificed himself on a cross so we'd have access to this loving, peaceful, joyful land of milk and honey, the eternal kingdom. And faith in Jesus is all you need to have access to this kingdom. And for the last 2,000 years, people have heard history has recorded the death and resurrection and still people aren't persuaded. Imagine the world, what it would look like if everybody would believe the Bible and thought of this parable of these two locations on a daily basis. We would truly change the way that we do business in this country. God would bless this country again. Now, I need you to ask yourself this question. What road are you on? Do you recognize the signs that are around you that tell you? Now, remember... That Satan's not going to tell you exactly that you're on the wrong road. He's going to make it look good. Is it looking good to you? Do things, do things make sense? When you know the truth and you hear the cooperating stories and, and see yourself changed, there are three evidence that the Bible is true. And I have, I, I have them today. One, the tomb is empty. Jesus is not there. So where did he go? He's at the right hand of the Father. Second, Israel is still there. It's, it's, it hasn't been wiped off the map like it's been tried so many times before. And thirdly, I'm not the man I used to be. I'm the man I'm supposed to be. So what road are you on today? Will you be persuaded to follow Jesus this day, this hour? The fact is we are all going to die. We are all going to shed this tent, Paul says. And we are all going to go into hell. This account proves when the rich man was cast into hell... Time is up. He couldn't do nothing else to change his situation or his eternal position. We still have that choice to change our eternal position. We have a lot of choices that we have to make during our day. What to wear, where to go, what to eat, who to work for. And and, and the choices just go on and on. Some are very extremely important and some are insignificant. Everyone has to make one important choice before they shed this body. They need to know that they, they are on the right road and they, they accept the Lord Jesus as their Savior. Besides salvation, you're going to get many gifts at the time that you accept Christ. You're going to get eternal life. You're going to get a piece of Him. He's going to give you the Holy Spirit. Throughout your life, you will have this Holy Spirit. It will show you what true joy is, what true love is, and who Christ really is. I would sit in the pews 
just like you and looking up at the altar. Never given in a thought until the day I heard the voice of God himself say, Mike, I need you to go. And I, and I would not go and I, I, he, he persuaded me. And once I was persuaded, look out. I, the, the whole world changed for me. I am who I'm supposed to be. I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I serve him on a daily basis. I let people know who I am. Is that what we're doing here as a church? Do we leave this church and find out that we leave our church back here at church? We don't take none of Jesus with us anywhere that we do. Jesus says, go into the world and tell the people about me. Preach the gospel to all creatures all around the world. Your world is the day that every day that you go out into, into to work, out into the, into the cities and societies. That is your world he's talking about. These are the people that are lost. I would, I would pray that everyone here that believes Jesus is their Savior would look upon strangers and have a new compassion for them. And look and say, oh my God, he's heading to this place. As a body of Christ, we are who we're supposed to be. We are love, we are relational, and we come together every week to worship an awesome God. This is our key. And it's so simple that the world wants to tell you it's not. The light has come into the world and the world has not conceived it. The darkness pushed it away. People in our natural, since the world has fallen, like the dark. Jesus has come. And this is our time. The Lord is calling you. Is he calling you to be persuaded today? This altar is open for a saved and unsaved. If you have something against somebody, you need to bring it and leave it here. And the reason I have you come up, because Jesus did everything publicly. When you do something publicly and you move forward for Jesus, that solidifies your faith in him. So when you come to the altar, give whatever you're giving. That solidifies to you physically, that you physically did something. And you're spiritually ready to go. The world is dying. They're dying daily. They're out there killing themselves. The Bible is not taught. People want to shy away from it. And it's scary. The day that we die, we no longer can talk to this realm. And this realm needs Jesus. Will you be persuaded? If you have anything, let me implore you. We have people here that will pray with you. If you walk out of here, your next breath is not guaranteed. When you walk out of here today, you may, name, may never make it home tonight and find yourself instantly in one of these two places. Let's get on the right road. We can do it right now before we go out into the parking lot. So can we all stand and sing?